BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. I am hyped because today's guest has been on the podcast before. It's Dr. Varun Soni. He is the Dean of Religious and Spiritual Life at USC. He is a mentor of mine. He's been on the podcast once, but his episode was so good that I aired it twice. I think you could, if you Google RealPod, the mental health crisis, or if you Google RealPod, Dr. Varun Soni, you'll find his original episode, which is amazing. Highly recommend that. I wanted to have him back because I feel like I referenced that episode so often. I was like, it's been a few years. Let's have him back on the podcast, have a current conversation. And I feel like especially in you know partnership with the solo episode I released two weeks ago on my not going to call it an identity crisis, identity crisis, which by the way, thank you all so much for your feedback and love on that episode. It truly, truly meant the world to me. All the messages. I'm sorry if I couldn't get back to everyone, but I literally love you guys so much. Thank you. In partnership with that solo episode, I wanted to have him back to kind of talk about change and change in life and what that means. And this conversation is so beautiful. I learned so much. And I feel like this is the main course, if that makes sense. Like if my solo episode was the appetizer or I don't know, I don't want to discredit the solo. Maybe the solo was the main course and this is dessert, but I, regardless, they go together. And this is the closing part of that conversation. So I hope you love it as much as I did. 
Before we jump in, I want to give a shout out to Cat Olive. What's up, Cat Olive? Left a five-star review. Better late than never. I feel like I've missed out because I didn't know about RealPod until recently, but so glad I know about it now. Love listening to these episodes and be related to or be told to take a step back and really evaluate my life and myself. So good. Recommend to everyone. Love, love, love RealPod. Can't say that enough. Kat, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I chose your review because this is one of those episodes today where I hope people take a step back and really start to evaluate themselves and their lives and where they're at and hopefully gain some clarity through what Dr. Sony has to say. If you have yet to leave a review of RealPod, you can do that on Apple Podcasts and you might be the shout out like Kat on next week's episode. Wherever you can rate and review the show, it really helps us out and means a lot to me. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Without further ado, let's get started. Dean Sony is here to drop some knowledge. Dean Sony, welcome back to RealPod. It is always my honor, and I feel so lucky anytime I get to have a conversation with you. And it's been a while. We have a lot to talk about, and I thought, why not record it so I could share your wisdom with the world? Well, I'm super <laughs> grateful to be here. I always love seeing you. I'm so proud of everything you've done. In this case, the students become the teacher. So thank you for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely stoked that you're here. I've been in a place recently where I feel pulled to different than the norm or like I'm outgrowing. I think that's a better word. It's like, I don't know what my analogy is in a cocoon to a butterfly or like a snake shedding skin. I'm in a transition period. And I think in those periods, no matter who you are and what you're doing, that's when things really get existential. And you really think about what you're doing, why you're doing it. And I always think of you. I have few mentors and teachers in my life that I can have these conversations with. And you're always at the forefront. I always quote you. People who listen to RealPod know happiness is not a place you arrive to. It's a state you cultivate. Dean Sony. So I guess I just wanted to dive into all of this nitty gritty with you and maybe do it through your story because you have a really powerful story of kind of where you started, where you are now and the things you learned along the way. And I don't even think I know where you grew up and what your childhood was like. <laughs> Well, I you listen, our our lives are just periods of transition. That's what evolution and growth look like. And so the things that you might be feeling now are the natural sort of things you should be feeling as you go through your adulthood. I mean, you recently got married and you know, you're doing all these new things in the world, so you are a new person. And so the way you act and move in the world should reflect that. I think the challenge is we tend to think that we are one person and how do we stay authentic to the person that we are? But when we think about our lives, when I think about my life, for example, I can't find anything that actually is the same about me at ages five and 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 and 40. And unfortunately for my wife, I can keep going with those numbers. Um, who is the me? Who is the I that is the authentic I? When we look back, we realize that I only exists in the present moment. In the past, that I didn't actually exist. That person did not exist. The way we remember ourselves in the past isn't really the way the past happened. And when the past did happen, we experienced it as the present. When the future happens, we experience it as the present. So you have to honor the person you are right now. That person is a different Victoria than the one I met several years ago. It's a, that's a different Victoria than the one who came to USC to play volleyball. And that's why I think people are so excited to join you on your journey, because they are reflecting on their own life story, their own evolution, their own transformation through your prism. 
You know, you're like my you're you're the Miley Cyrus of my life. Like you're you're <laughs> taking your audience with you. She's no longer Hannah Montana, but she's still talking to the audience she met when she was Hannah Montana, and she's growing. She's evolving. She's honest. She's vulnerable, and she's inviting people to take that journey with her. So I guess the question is really to you: Why don't you feel like you can change, or what is it that is making you feel like you can't be this new person? based on the person you once were. It's funny you give the Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus reference because I think about her often because when she was having that whole evolution, I and that was like the icon of me for me growing up. You know, we all watched Hannah Montana on TV and then she was transitioning and transforming and releasing new music and dressing provocatively and doing things. And people were like, you know, she's going off the deep end or she's ruining this reputation or this version of who she is. And now it's clear that she is an icon. Her name will be remembered. She's a historic artist and entertainer because of those transitions. And so I, I think about her often. I'm like, Miley Cyrus is a badass. A question, though, that I had as you were speaking to me, and then I can answer this question of why don't I feel like yeah. I can change, is the difference between you want to be someone who changes in life. It's like if you're 40 and someone says, you never changed, you still go to the same supermarket, you wear the same clothes. And like, I would feel like that would be a little bit of an insult because yeah. I want to, I want to grow and yeah. I want to change. However, I guess I fear the negative of, oh, you're not the person you used to be. What's the difference between those but two things? Isn't that a good thing to not be the person you used to be? I mean, you don't want to be the same person you were at 5, 10, 15, 20. Otherwise, what's the point, right? Mm -hmm. The 40-year-old the you should not be the same as the 20-year-old you. And Quite frankly, I think all the things you've done in your life that have really resonated with other people have been because you've embraced change. You've embraced transition. It wasn't easy for you to speak out when you did as a college athlete to be that vulnerable. That's not what that's not the person you might have been when you came to USC, but that's the person you became when you were at USC. Mm -hmm. And then when you left USC, you started something that no one had done before. You created a role in life that had no template. You don't do that by not changing or transforming or growing. You do that by really embracing that and leaning into that. Mm -hmm. And so I do think when I look at your life, actually you've done the transformation, the change, you've handled transitions well, you've leaned into them, you've embraced them. That's why you're thriving in the way that you are. And that's why people resonate with your story because it takes courage to lean into that change. It may be, it may feel different because you're at a different life stage. It's different when you're a few years out of college. It's different when you get married. So these are things that you should honor. Mm -hmm. But I think what stays the same isn't the person, but maybe the value system or the ability to tell a story. That's where I'm at in my life right now. I think of myself back in the day, what's the same about me when I was in college? Nothing. Not my thoughts, not my dreams, not my relationships, not my emotions, not the molecular structure of my body, not my hair, not my teeth, not my blood. Nothing is the same. Well, what is the same is that back when I was in college, I was telling a story about who I was, and I still am telling a story about who I am. That story has changed, but the storytelling doesn't change. And so what you've been able to do really well and what you'll continue to do really well is tell that story about who you are. That's that's where we find some constant. You are always a storyteller. You can take refuge in that as an identity, even if the story is changing, especially because the story is changing. That is a really important identity. But the story is changing, and you're telling the story. It's not being told for you. So did you always know what you wanted to be? Did you ever feel really lost in life? 
yeah, I still feel really lost in life. <laughs> and I think that's where present moment awareness is helpful. Like we feel lost in life when we're like thinking about the future. What am I going to do in five years, 10 years, 15 years? But if you're cool with what's going on in the present, then you're cool in life because all that really exists, like I said, is our experience of the present moment. I feel like so much of the present moment, at least for me, and I think a lot of people is working on the future. Yes. Like work. You're talking about the meeting next week. You're moving this along for next. Like it's everything's future based. But the future is never what you imagine. It's never how you plan it. You couldn't have said seven years ago that we would be sitting at Dear Media in this kind of environment, <laughs> having a conversation to an audience as big as the one that you have. You couldn't have predicted that, even if you thought I want to do a podcast or I want to talk about issues that matter. I want to build an audience, it wouldn't have played out in your own mind the way it played out in reality. And oftentimes in reality, it's more interesting, more nuanced, more com complex. In some ways, it's, it's bigger than we can even imagine for ourselves. And so I think sometimes the idea of the future is the barrier to getting there. But when you're in the present moment, you are always conditioning the next moment. So what we do now will shape our future. We're always doing the work of the future. But the idea of the future can be limiting. It can be, it, can, it can be the barrier. It can be the prison in some ways. If I had a very clear idea about what I wanted to be when I grew up, I wouldn't be open to do all the things that I've done, right? But because I kind of had an idea, but not like a path, but an idea, I was open to whatever was around for me. If you follow my Instagram, you might have seen that my sweet husband, Max, has been taking ski lessons. When Max went skiing, I had to kind of show him up with my bright pink and beautiful ski goggles. I have the Snowgy snow goggles from Gooder. They're called the Bunny Slope Dropout. They have this bright pink band on the side with these Hawaiian flowers. And then there's two different lenses. Okay, so there's like a blue mirrored lens and then there's a translucent yellow lens. I was using the yellow lens because, you know, I wanted my eyes to come through and they were so cute. I got so many compliments and they are from Gooder and Gooder sponsors RealPod. And look, it's not just snow goggles. Gooder has so many stylish sunnies starting at only $25 a pair. There's a one-year warranty, 30-day free returns, and 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Not to mention, Gooder is a 100% carbon neutral company plus 1% for the planet. All of their sunnies are lightweight and comfortable, 100% polarized, stylish. Okay, lots of cool colors. So if you're active or running, they don't slip or bounce, and they're easy to clean. Gooder is giving RealPod listeners free shipping on your first order. I threw a link in the show notes so you can check that out or go to gooder.com slash realpod to get free shipping. Gooder offers a 30-day money-back guarantee and 100% satisfaction. Find your pair at gooder.com slash realpod. That's gooder, G-O-O-D-R.com slash realpod and get free shipping. This episode is brought to you by Cozy Earth. I just love Cozy Earth. Max and I sleep on Cozy Earth's best-selling bamboo sheet set every single night. It is temperature regulated. It is incredibly soft. And I seriously, I seriously cannot hype this up enough. If you want the kind of sheets that when you just touch them, you're like, okay, this is going to be a phenomenal night's sleep. Please look no further than Cozy Earth. Take my word for it. 
And look, Cozy Earth has a lot to offer. They have bedding collections of luxury pillows, sheets, blankets, and more. They have a linen bedding collection, which adds casual elegance to any space and captures the fabric's breezy, timeless appeal. Not to mention they have PJ sets. The Cozy Earth PJ sets I literally sleep in all the time. I slept in them the night before my wedding. I gifted them to my bridesmaids. And if I haven't sold you already, Cozy Earth was named one of Oprah's favorite things in 2018. Come on, one of Oprah's favorite things. You need to check this out for yourself. And Cozy Earth has provided an unreal offer to RealPod listeners today. It is 35% off site-wide when you use the code RealPod. That's 35% off the entire site, no matter what you're putting in your cart. If you use code RealPod, that's RealPod in all caps, R-E-A-L-P-O-D, and head to CozyEarth.com. So literally, don't sleep on this because I need you to sleep on it. You catch my drift? Okay, CozyEarth.com. Use code RealPod for 35% off site-wide. What's the balance between what you're describing and, you know, I was listening to a podcast called The Skinny Confidential and they were interviewing Rob Deirdrick yeah. and he was saying, you know, he's laser focused. He knows exactly what he wants to do, when he's going to accomplish it. They were talking about closing their eyes and meditating and imagine yourself like, you know, at the place you want to be with all the people you want to be there doing thing you want to do and like do that every day. Yeah. So. Yes. Listen, I did an event with Rob where we talked about the importance of meditation and manifesting one's reality, et cetera. I think we should all do that. We should manifest something that we want to see in the world. But even the way his own career has played out, I, I'm sure he will tell you it's not the way he thought it would or the, what he actually manifested. And that's why I think we do a great disservice when we ask our kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? We should really ask our kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? Life is about doing more than it is about being. You know, you do a lot of things. It's hard to, for me to describe you as one thing. I can't just say you're a podcaster because that's kind of limiting. You do a lot of things. The idea that I have to be a particular person or have a particular job is the limiting idea. When I was growing up, I said to myself, I want to produce a film. I want to travel the world. I want to write a book. I want to teach a class. I want to inspire young people. There are a lot of ways I could have done that. I, I've done that through being the dean of religious and spiritual life, but that's not the only way I could have done it. And as long as I was doing the things I wanted to do, maybe it didn't matter so much that I was what the title was. Like I've had a radio show, but I'm not a DJ. I've produced a film, but I'm not a producer. I've written a book, but I'm not really a writer. Mm -hmm. You know, I teach classes, but I'm not a tenured professor. So I think we have to focus on what we want to do rather than who we want to be. Can you tell me about a time in your life where you felt like you were suffering and how you internalized it at the time and then got out of that place? Well, it, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I'll, let's take it back to college because that's where our story starts. When I was coming out of college, I had a really difficult breakup. And it was it was hard because it was kind of first love or at least first reciprocated love. I, was, <laughs> I had a lot of love, but this was actually love that came back to me too. And I think in my own mind, I felt like this love is pure. This is first love. This is what I always wanted. Finally, someone loves me. This is forever. And when it wasn't forever, and listen, college romances rarely are. You're the exception to the rule, <laughs> luckily. But, um, you know, either you end up marrying your college sweetheart or you end up breaking up. And most people end up breaking up. So this was kind of par for the course. But just the idea that this could be this could be over, even though I felt like this was the purest thing in my life, caused me a lot of suffering. And I realized it was because I had grasped on to the idea of permanence. Like, I am 
this person, she is this person, and we're always going to love each other. And love is true. I'd bought into this idea that like true love lasts forever. And once you know, you know, and nothing will ever change. But that's just not true. What I realized later in life is just because we broke up doesn't mean it wasn't real and doesn't mean it wasn't important and doesn't mean it wasn't worthwhile. It was all those things. But the problem was the idea of permanence, the idea that I was this permanent self, this permanent fixed entity over my life, and that love would be it sort of play out that way. Once I realized I'm constantly changing, she's constantly changing, that means love is constantly changing. I feel like I wasn't suffering as much. I didn't have as much blame to go around. I wasn't beating myself up as much. I just felt like this is the way things are. So most of suffering, that now we're getting back to sort of what the Buddha taught, the Buddha taught that most of suffering arises because we think things are permanent when they're impermanent. And likewise, you may have this cocoon moment or this transition moment right now, and maybe it's because in, you know, the world knows you in a particular way. They know you as this person who bravely spoke out about issues that no one was speaking out about. But in the time that you've spoken out about issues, those issues are front and center in the zeitgeist, partly because you've been speaking out about them. But you're not a college student. You're not playing volleyball anymore. You're not the person you once were. Your audience may know you and love you as that person. They will know you and love you as the next person that you are, too. So I think that we just have to give ourselves permission to evolve, to move forward, and to just trust that the people who are tuning into our lives and who care about us want us to grow, evolve, transform, change. That's what they want for themselves, too. And in some ways, you're modeling that for others. I loved what you just said about nothing is permanent because it sounds obvious, but I think a lot of, I think about, you know, things that I'm going through or my family or friends, it's this desire to have all the thing, all your ducks be in a row and all your ducks be happy. And it's like the minute something falls off the tracks, it's grief and it's sadness and it's mourning, you know, how it was so good at a time. I mean, how do we deal with that as humans? So this is, I think, a cultural issue. You know, we both grew up in the United States and what we learned, I think, growing up in the United States is that you should be happy. And if you do the right stuff, if you have the right job, if you have the right degrees, if you buy the right things, if you know the right people, you'll be happy. And if for some reason you're not happy, you're doing something wrong. And so we might feel as though if we're not happy, if we're struggling, if we're feeling confused, anxious, lost, disconnected, then there's something wrong with us. Now, that's a very different way to think about your life than the sort of way the Buddha taught her if we were if we were to grow up in a Buddhist country, which is that life is suffering. Baseline is suffering. If you're suffering, it just means you're living life. Now, if you're happy, it means you're doing something right. But if you're suffering, it just means you're living life. So in the US, if we're happy, it means, you know, if we're happy, that's baseline. And if we're sad, we're doing something wrong. For Buddhists, if you're sad, that's baseline. And if you're happy, you're doing something right. So instead of thinking about not being happy as kind of something wrong with you, wrong with us, maybe we think about those moments that we are happy as something right with us and celebrate those moments, not to be attached to them, but celebrate them. And when we're feeling suffering, we can just be like, oh, this is what it means to live. The reality is everyone who has ever lived has suffered. That's what connects us with every person across space and time. There is not one person who has lived who has not suffered. And by the way, no one wants to suffer. So what connects us with everyone on a human level? We all suffer, but no one wants to. And so if our fundamental truth in life is that we suffer and we don't accept that as truth, then we're going to continue to suffer on top of 
the suffering, right? So many questions and places I want to go. On this note of suffering, I was having this conversation with my mom the other day, and it was referencing the quote, pain is inevitable and suffering is a choice. What are your thoughts on, of course, I believe all humans are suffering and I follow that. However, there's a point where you can victimize yourself in your own head for such a long time that you're like perpetuating a worse suffering than you would otherwise be experiencing. Yes, I think that's I think that's right. I think there's two kinds of sufferings, suffering in the world. There's the material suffering of not having enough, not having enough food, water, community, et cetera. But there's also the mental suffering, and that's really what we're talking about. That's the suffering that doesn't happen out in the world. That's the suffering that happens inside of us, inside of our own heads, inside of our own hearts. We were taught that if we change the conditions of the world, we'll no longer suffer. Like I said, if we have the right person, people in our lives, the right degree, the right this, the right that, if I can manipulate the reality outside of me, I will no longer suffer. But I think what's actually true, what the Buddha taught is that it's not, you know, we actually don't have that much control over the reality outside of us. What we do control is the reality inside of us. And so how do we rethink our perception of the world so as to mitigate our own suffering? What the Buddha taught was that we create our own suffering by the way we see the world and we can get past our own suffering if we look at the world in a different way. The things we control are actually the most important things. Our attitude, our worldview, our mindset, our empathy, our gratitude, our health, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the things that make us feel like we're thriving, flourishing, not necessarily the conditions out here. And so I think your mother is... Right, absolutely. We can perpetuate our own suffering if we look at the world in a in a particular way, and we can mitigate our suffering if we look at the world in a different way. The choice is, is our choice. Mm-hmm. What that comes down to, from a Buddhist perspective, is this back to this idea of permanence. Like we are suffering because we think we're permanent. We are suffering because we think everything will last, and when it doesn't, we get upset and we judge that as bad when it's actually just the rea- nature of reality. And because we're judging that as bad, we feel bad about it. And so can we get to a point where we're just grateful for what's in front of us without feeling like we're going to this what's in front of us will always exist? Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking recently that I have these hopes of adopting a more positive mindset for my life and cultivating that happiness. And I've been thinking, you know, I should really take some more time for myself in the morning where I can practice mindfulness, I can be alone, I can be in the quiet, and maybe I set up some affirmations that are leading me towards this abundance mindset and this gratitude. Is there a way to do that? Like, how do I do that and acknowledge things are impermanent? Like, for example, if I wanted to wake up in the morning and tell myself, I have enough, I am enough, I do enough, and repeat that, repeat that, repeat that, and I'm so grateful for my loving husband, and I'm grateful for my loving parents, and like, you know, what about the day when I look at that list and something's gone from it? Yeah. Well, I think that's why it is important to have a gratitude practice because things are impermanent, not because they are permanent. We are grateful for something because it existed, exists in this moment. It might not exist in the next moment. And so that's why we have to honor that in that particular moment. So I think there's a way to be a little more specific, maybe not like I have enough, I am enough. Those are important affirmations, but are there specific things that you might be grateful for in any given day? My my wife, daughter, and I do something before bed, which is before when we're putting our daughter down, we go around and we, we talk about something specific that day that we're grateful for, not in life, but that day, knowing that that's an impermanent thing probably. It might be a one-off thing, but we want to honor it 
and be grateful for it because it's impermanent, right? And so I think being specific every day about something new that you're grateful for, that thing that you were grateful for on Monday might not be there on Thursday, but that doesn't mean there's not something on Thursday you should be grateful for. Mm -hmm. And that practice of gratitude is important for understanding things are only there for a limited time. Listen, even if we live to be 90 years old, it's insignificant in the scope of the universe. You know, the universe is 14 billion years old. And even when the, within us, there are elements, essential elements from the Big Bang, like carbon, that is 13 billion years old. There is stuff in us that's as old as the universe. And so living to 90, 100, 110 is really not that long, given even sort of what we carry within us, the mm -hmm. entire story of the universe. And so I, every moment is precious, no matter how long you live, no matter how good your relationship is or your marriage is, it's impermanent. No matter how deep and loving your relationship is with your family, it's impermanent. So everything is impermanent and our time here is limited. We tend to get very sad when we die young as we should, you know, but we all die young. 90 is young, 100 is young in the scope of the universe, right? And so I think we have to have a sense of urgency about honoring the things we're grateful for while they're here because it all goes by really fast. And what I find at my age is that as you get older, time goes by faster because every year is a smaller percentage of your life. You know, for my daughter, who's eight years old, every year is 12 and a half percent of her life. But for me, like every year is like 1% of my life at this point. And so it goes by fast. You know, as you get older, you feel like the years are going by faster. You feel like you have less time. Did you cross paths with Nicole Davis at SC at ever? I don't think I did. She played on the volleyball team way back when, won national championships, played in the Olympics, a mentor of mine. And she told me about this idea of being a researcher of good, similar to what you do with your daughter and your wife, where like at the end of the day, you say three good things mm -hmm. and it's those three random things from the day. And then you start training yourself to scan and look for good to have your three things at the end of the day, because we do have this kind of pessimistic lens where what sticks out to us is all the shitty things happening in our life. And we don't sit and kind of relish in a smile when someone like holds the door for you. Yeah. And yep. I, it just reminded me of that. And I, yep. I liked it a lot. I need to do it. <laughs> this is right. This is the story of everyone's life is having these conversations, being all fired up and then doing the same shit tomorrow. <laughs> well, we can change in sort of micro ways. We can do a little bit every day. It doesn't we don't have to put the burden on ourselves to be a whole new person every week or to transform overnight. But we can get incrementally closer to the person we want to be. And maybe that's a North Star or true North. You don't actually get there, but you get closer and closer. I have a class of 150 students and my homework assignments are so different than any I've ever given in my life. Their homework assignment this week was a random act of kindness for a stranger. Last week was share something you love with someone you love. The week before was get seven hours of sleep at least one night. The week before was have a moment of joy, right? And when students come back, like we share what they did. And that's my favorite part of my class. We have 150 students who are the smartest kids in the world, like 9% acceptance rate at USC, like hyper, hyper intelligent type A students. Someone needs to give them permission almost to sleep or to smile or to laugh, right? The things that should come naturally to us, it's only coming because I have a captive audience that's being graded on it. And, and yet when they do it, it it's a very little thing, and yet it's a very big thing for them. It's a transformation. It's a revelation. You can see something has shifted in them. And so I think a little thing every day or every week is enough. You know, smile at someone you don't know, do something nice for someone, call someone for no reason, you know, do something random act of kindness for a stranger. 
getting a little deep, dark, and spooky because that's what we do. When you were saying before, nothing is permanent, life is suffering, a little voice in my head thought, then what's the point? Yeah. So there's two ways to think about it. You could say if everything's impermanent and we suffer as a baseline, what's the point? It can feel like a great burden, right? But I, I think there's another way to look at it that's more liberating. If nothing is permanent, it means every single moment is the most important moment. It means everything has meaning. Everything is important. Everything is precious. Every breath is a gift, right? Right now, you are the most important person in my life. This is the most important conversation in my life. This is the most important moment in my life because it's all happening in the present moment. And if everything is impermanent, then it really makes this sacred, right? This is where we find meaning, purpose, significance, authenticity, transcendence, connection in the present moment. If everything's permanent, then what's the point? right? If you could also make that argument, if nothing ever changes, everything is permanent, like what's the point, right? What would be the point of living if you never died, for example? Like there's a, there's a movie when I was growing up called Highlander about people who never died. And there were 10 of them and they had to fight across space and time. And at the end, the last person, it wins. And the gift of the person who wins at the end is to be mortal. The great gift is to actually die because that actually gives you meaning because your time is precious, it's impermanent, it's fleeting. When you talk about immortality, like, I I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to be here for like five years. No, I don't want to be here either. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Which is true. It does make you think about, okay, then like, while you are here, soak up and relish, you know, every opportunity that you have. Something I remember you telling me years ago, you traveling and doing lots of exploration outside in the world when really you've learned the journey you had to go on was within, inside yourself. Can you tell us that story? (laughs) Yeah. So this was the story of my mentor. We all, you know, have mentors who shape us in particular ways. My mentor in college was someone who wanted to be an astronaut. And so that was back when you could be an astronaut before Elon Musk took that dream from all of us. (laughs) But uh, you could be an astronaut. You would go to, essentially, you would go to the U.S. Air Force Academy to train in Colorado Springs. So he went to the U.S. US Air Force Academy. He went through his training. He was all set to go explore places no one had ever been. He wanted to go to the far corners of the universe, the cosmos. He wanted to see things that no one had ever seen before. And at the end of his time there, he read a book by a philosopher named John Paul Sartre, who's an existentialist philosopher. And he began to realize that actually, no matter how far he went into outer space, he could never leave his mind. And that the real journey for him wasn't to outer space, but to inner space, was into his own mind, because that was also a place that no one had been before. That was also a place where he could explore things that were unexplored. That was also a place where he could see wonder, beauty, experience awe, all the things that he wanted to do in outer space. And so he became a philosopher and he stayed right here on Earth. And what that showed me was that we all can go on this adventure. It's the lifelong adventure of exploration, but that is an internal journey. That is not something that we need. We don't need to go to the ends of the earth if we're not going to sort of the highest peaks in our own mind, in our own heart. You know, that's the real adventure. And that's an adventure that's open to all of us. And that is a lifelong adventure. Are there certain things we can do to progress on the inner journey? I think we learn more from failure than from success. I think we learn more from pain than from pleasure. I think we learn more from being uncomfortable than being comfortable. And so, yeah, I do think that what is the point of suffering? What is the point of hardship? What is the point of all this? It's to develop a kind of spiritual discipline, resilience, and understanding of our own true nature. And it is painful to do this work, this soul work. It's the most painful work. It's a lot easier to zone out, to turn on the TV, to look at our phones. The distractions of the world are endless. 
but what are those distractions for? I think they're distracting us from the real truth, which is our time here is impermanent, our life is short, and, and we have a limited amount of time to do what we really want to do and make the mark we want to make and meet the people we want to meet. And so it's hard to think like that. It's easier to be distracted by the world, but that's why it's so important to do it. Before I got to the studio this morning to interview Dean Sony, you better bet I was drinking my AG1. That's right. It's a part of my everyday morning routine. AG1 is from Athletic Greens, who is one of our RealPod partners. And I take AG1 literally every day. It makes me feel unstoppable, ready to take on my day, ready to go. Like I'm doing something good for my body because I'm giving my body the nutrients it craves and I'm covering my nutritional bases. That's, I think, the key for me because lots of vitamins or taking lots of powders. I mean, that's like too much for me. I'm a, I'm a girl of simplicity. I like one thing, one and done, you know. And AG1 is just that. And it's more than greens. It's all of your key health products like multivitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more working together as one. I started drinking it because Max was drinking it. And now I am like its biggest hype queen. And I really just encourage everyone to give it a try. And guess what? Because you listen to RealPod and Athletic Greens is a partner they're giving away a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So go to athleticgreens.com slash realpod. That's athleticgreens.com slash realpod for a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. That's athleticgreens.com slash realpod. Check it out. I have been thinking more and more about how important it is to take care of my body and my physical health. Um, I'm 25, but you know, we're aging out here. So that said, I have the achiest feet and joints, especially from all my years playing sports. I also have really flat feet. So I'm always trying to make sure that my shoes have great, great support. And that is why I wear and love Vionic. Vionic harnesses science to make shoes that bring balance to our lives. Whether you need sneakers for dynamic movement like long walks, we love a walk, especially a walk in a real pod. Listen, love that. Or gym workouts or slippers for days where you know, you're around the house, you're inside. I have two pairs of Bionic slippers that I love. I have the pink fuzzy ones. Those are my favorite. And all of Vionic's shoes have their exclusive Viomotion technology, which aligns and balances the whole you feet first. This brand was created by scientists who have proven the notion that balance does begin with our feet and moves through our body. So when we are in balance in our body, we can be in balance in our lives. I have many pairs of Ionic shoes. All of them have such great support for my feet. And guess what? They offer a 30-day risk-free trial. So there's no reason not to buy. Wear them, love them, or return for a full refund within 30 days if you're not satisfied for any reason. So use code RealPod at checkout for free shipping. Love that at www.vionicshoes.com. That's free shipping. If you use code RealPod in all caps, one word, RealPod at www.vionicshoes.com. So check it out today. I think it's a huge privilege to sit in a place where you can take your foot off the gas and read the books and have the mindfulness and take the time. What are your thoughts on someone listening who still has so much they want to achieve or do in life for good reasons, the same way I had things I set out to achieve and do, 
and they have to work that extra job and they have to stay up late to take care of the kid or they have to, you know, how do they pursue this? So we all have to do the things we might not have chosen to do and we all have to make our way in the world. We all have to earn our keep and we're all born in different circumstances. And so most people are not born with the kind of privilege to even ask themselves the question, what do I want to do with my life, right? That's why I really want USC students to feel empowered when they leave because they do have the opportunity to ask that. And so a lot of my work is really trying to inspire students to feel like they're empowered to go out and live the life they want to live. But not everyone has that privilege. Less than 1% of the world will graduate from a university like USC. So what does that mean? I, I think it means that we try to find the things we're looking for wherever we're at. If I'm a caregiver, how do I find meaning, purpose, and authenticity in my work as a caregiver? What are the values that animate me? If I have to work three jobs, well, why am I working three jobs? To support my family, to support my kids, to give them a better life. So how do I take pride, joy, satisfaction in the selfless work of working for other people, right? Mm -hmm. Wherever we are at, I think we have to find some hook there. It's finding it in the work as opposed to finding new work. I think for us right now, we generally feel like if we're not finding in our work, we have to go out and find a new job. But maybe we have to go and find a new mindset. You know, maybe it's not that we have to find a new job. And I think that's where we're at right now with the great resignation. 40% of Americans want to leave their job. I don't think it's just financial. I think it's because they don't see their values in the work that they do. So either they have to find work which has their values or they have to reimagine the way they work in terms of their values. And so we have a lot of autonomy in our mindset. We don't have a lot of autonomy in the conditions of the world. And so I think that that's the real shift that has to happen. It has to happen internally. And can you find it? You might've been dealt a terrible hand, but a lot of people have been dealt terrible hands and have done amazing things. A lot of people who have been dealt incredible hands and have squandered them. Mm -hmm. At that point, it's really about mindset. That's so powerful. Max and I will talk about this a lot because I don't know if we're at a nice restaurant, like we were out on Valentine's Day, because we have the ability to not work that evening and go on a date. And it's like, you know, our waiter has a wedding ring and we're thinking, oh, this person can't be with the person that yep. they love. But then we were talking about how we don't know this person's life. They yep. could have had a phenomenal morning with their partner and they love seeing couples on Valentine's Day and just the assumption of pitying someone else yep. and then the assumption that you must not like your job if it's waiting a table on a holiday, you know, like it's just false. Yep. And maybe this is what this is really romantic. You know, maybe what's romantic is to work that night and to earn something, to do something. Right. So in his mind, this could be the most romantic thing he's done for his wife or his spouse or his partner. It's really his reality that's more important than our perception of his reality. What were the different things throughout your life so far that you feel really changed the trajectory of your thinking? Uh, well, I had a lot of good teachers, a lot of mentors. I tried to have a, a rich sort of variety of life experiences. My sort of approach is it's not how many breaths you take, it's how many moments you have that take your breath away, right? So mm. it's not how long you live, it's how well you live. I right? know my mom listening right now is like, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, she doesn't need my advice. She's already figured out. She's already figured it out. So what are the things that have changed my perception, my life? I mean, I think the most important thing for me there are two things, really. It's being a parent. When you get there, you'll see like marriage is a big shift. 
but I don't feel like it's a paradigm shift in the way that parenthood is a paradigm shift. Parenthood forced me to live the life that I was preaching. I talk a really good game, but my wife will tell you I don't live that game. I can be the chief mindfulness person at USC. That doesn't mean I'm mindful. I could be the chief wellness officer. That doesn't mean I'm well. I could be the chief spiritual officer. That doesn't mean I'm doing anything spiritual. So I talk a really good game, but my kids sort of forced me to live it a little bit. And when I lived in a monastery, I thought that that was the best way for me to have a spiritual practice. But when I had kids, I began to realize actually the real sort of ego death happens when you're a parent. That's when you really have to be selfless. That's really where you really put aside your own hopes and dreams, or you reimagine your own hopes and dreams in alignment with what you want for your children. And you think about the future in a very different way. We're talking about the present. The first time I really started to think about the future was when I had kids, because it actually mattered in a different kind of way than it did when I didn't think I was going to have kids. And so for me, the, like my t students, like you are my great teachers. I also think my kids are my great teachers, my gurus in, in a lot of ways. They teach me how to get past ego, how to get past the things that don't matter, how to be grateful for the moment, how to have perspective. Those are the lessons of the pandemic too, by the way. You know, we all learned during the pandemic how important it is to be present, not take anything for granted, understand the urgency of life, recognize how interconnected we are. And now in this post-pandemic period, we all have the opportunity to live the lessons we learned during the pandemic. The pandemic was like something you see out of a religious text. In all of our religious texts, we've had floods, plagues, locusts. We've had political unrest. And we had all that <laughs> over the last three years. And so in some ways, this is our flood moment. This is our moment of renewal. Whenever these things happen in our religious texts, that's a time for the world to stop and think about what really matters. How do we act and move? How do we think about renewal, redemption, et cetera? How do we do that? And we all have that opportunity because for the first time in our life, we've gone through a shared experience of suffering. I'm glad you brought us here because I have some thoughts on this that I wasn't planning to get into today. And yes, we all went through that time and it definitely united people. A lot it of people didn't too. unite us all as yeah, one. That's right. So sometimes at least I will feel a mix of hopelessness, a mix of you know, well, maybe I want this thing to be different in our world, but I also don't want to put all of my hours on life to this thing because well, I want to be with my family or, you know, do the job that I love to do. How do we keep up with the news and the tragedies and the the fighting and just back and forth that, I mean, the last time there was a really big shooting, you know, what's so sad is I can't even remember which one it was because there's yeah. so freaking many. Yeah. But this really for two days, I sat there like just so broken at this. And then it's here we are again. This has happened at MSU. And it's like a part of my mind is just like, don't read the article. Don't because it's so traumatic. And then I sit there and I cry and I feel helpless. I don't know. Yeah, I, this is a really interesting and important conversation. I don't know either. On the one hand, you want to be empathetic to the pain and suffering in the world, but I don't think we were built as humans to be processing this volume of negativity constantly, mm -hmm. constantly on, in our pocket. Like the, every time the phone beeps, it's a trigger for anxiety. And, you know, of course, it's a terrible situation that we live in where we had 69 mass shootings and it's not even been in this year and we haven't even had 69 days in the year yet, right? So, yes, this is a horrific 
state of affairs. And there's a lot to talk about in terms of why this keeps happening only in the U.S. Why don't we have the political will to change it, et cetera. But the constant triggering and dooming of the, the news, which is really mostly about the things that have gone wrong, not about things that have gone right. We're not triggered by news about a new hospital, a new university, this story of hope. It's always about terrible things in the world has made us think that the world is worse off than it's ever been. The reality is this is the best time to ever live in human history, especially if you're a person of color, LGBTQ, if you're a minority, if you're a woman, if you're, you know, any of the, if you have any identity marker that has been historically marginalized, this is the best time in human history to live. And yet my students, many of whom have those experiences and identities, feel like it's the worst time for them to live. So what's going on here? When we talk about it, I, I ask them, when would you rather be alive? Like point to one era that was better than this. There is no era that's better than this. This is the time where more people than ever before are interested in justice, climate change, income inequality, equity, diversity, all the things that we should be interested in. And yet people feel helpless disconnected and that this is the worst time possible. And I think it's because maybe we're not meant to process this amount of bad news or data. Maybe there's some part of us that isn't built this way. Things were always worse, but they didn't feel worse because we weren't reminded about how bad everything was. We were maybe reminded about how good things were. And now we're only reminded about how bad things are. So then how do people rationalize wanting to protect their mental health and not go override with all the influx of news, but then the privilege of being able to turn it off on your phone and not actually have to experience it or the pressure you put on yourself to, you know, give yourself permission to not care about humanity that day. I mean, what's the balance? Yeah. I mean, you're a part of the world that you care about, right? You are a part of the world that you're trying to save. You're a part of the world that you're trying to inspire. And if you're feeling down, disconnected, alienated, anxious, depressed, then it's hard for you to be a force of light, support, and healing for others. And so it's not selfish to take care of yourself. It's not selfish to take time for yourself. The people who have built our devices and our social media platforms in Silicon Valley regularly take what they call an internet Sabbath, which is they don't even go online during the weekends. They disconnect entirely. And they're the ones who are the evangelists of these new platforms. So I think it's important to take that time for yourself. You shouldn't feel guilty about it. You shouldn't feel guilty about over-indexing joy. And at the same time, I think we can understand the challenges of the world without being triggered by them. We understand there's a war in Ukraine, a devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria, and mass shootings every day in the United States. But that doesn't mean we have to read every story about war or natural disaster or mass shootings to understand that those are problems that we need to address. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the constant engagement with the negative is limits us to actually doing something positive about it. I'm really concerned about young activists, for example, who are dying by suicide. And I think it's because there's so much pain that they're seeing in the world and taking it in. It's overwhelming. But we need to have community resilience and some kind of hope when we do the work of advocacy or activism. And previous generations of activists had that. They had a beloved community, a spiritual community, an ethical framework. Our current students feel like they're taking on those challenges by themselves. I've been thinking a lot about what I grew up being told was an impactful, inspiring life 
versus now at, at 25 thinking about what what do I think it means to impact and inspire people based on who's impacted and inspired me. And I feel like growing up, I thought you have to be the next Oprah Winfrey or Steve Jobs, create something, do something that changes history. But I've realized now that the most inspiring thing to me is people who live authentic, joyful lives. And they might have nothing to do with me. They might not even look at me and tell me something wise, but I just witness them fully in their moment of who they are. And then that gives me this unspoken permission to do the same, you know? And so I also think so many people these days need to lower the bar for what we think we have to accomplish. And I recognize I'm saying that from a place of having checked some boxes in life. Who knows if I would say this had I not given a TED talk and had I not, you know, created this podcast, whatever. But being here regardless, I'm the most inspired by people who are themselves. I think we assume that we have to be Steve Jobs in order to live happy, joyful, authentic lives, even if he might not have done that himself, right? So there's this almost disconnect that like we have to be so celebrated by the world and that's how we have joy or success. I think the opportunity we have is to shift our metric of success so that we are the definers of that. And so you don't have to be Steve Jobs or Oprah to live a happy, joyful, authentic life. You can live that joyful, authentic life. We might think that we need to do X, Y, or Z to get there, but we might not need to do X, Y, or Z. Maybe that's a distraction. Maybe that is the impediment to getting to where we want to go in terms of our own joy, in terms Mm -hmm. of our own authenticity. I love that you're seeing people who are living these lives. They're not lives that are often celebrated or they might not be lucrative. They might not be folks who have their own brand or their own, they're not selling anything, but they're inspiring. And they give us hope that we can live a life like that as well, that it is possible to live that life, even and maybe because we're not entirely just focused on what the world thinks is success, but what we think is success. I would like for young people to think about their own metrics of success. Why is success only the things that other people tell you it is? Why is it only your grades, your test scores, your job, your internship, your salary? Why isn't it the things that you might value, your friendship, your courage, your growth, your creativity, your sense of adventure, your compassion. Your desire to do your best. Why are those not success? Yeah. Why is that not success? I think about that yeah. a lot. I'm always just like, I'm trying. I'm trying. Whether it happens or it doesn't, I'm freaking trying. And in walking that walk, that is success. You know, that yeah. is success. Thank you so much for everything today. This was so magical as always when I get to speak to you. And I appreciate you coming to the studio and sharing this conversation with everyone. Well, thank you. I learn a lot from you all the time. And like I said, I'm very proud of your journey and very excited to see where you're going next. Thank you, Dean Sony. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week, seeing behind-the-scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real.
please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.